to latest episode of the Optimized Law Firm podcast. I'm super excited to have Kevin Churn with us today. And Kevin is a highly successful entrepreneur in the legal space. Uh, his companies have twice been on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies in America. Uh, he's also an inductee to the Chicago area Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame. He was founder and managing partner of one of the largest consumer bankruptcy law firms in the United States that was eventually acquired. I'm going to need to take a breath, you know, in the middle of this, but um, then founded a total attorneys, a pioneer in the lead generation space, as well as serving as a strategic advisor to a number of companies. And today his focus is sanguine strategic advisors and biz head law, which helps businesses like myself with tax planning strategies around the ERC credit. So mouthful, but um, really excited to have you. And, um, you know, I just think you you got a ton of great experience in legal that I'm excited to, to hear about. So I'm um, um, first wanted to kind of kick off with, um, you know, the topic for today, we're talking about scaling firms, scaling businesses. Um, but first, can you share a little bit about Sanguine? And because I think it's a unique business model and how how law firms can can utilize it. Yeah, no, and it's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me today, uh, Patrick. Uh, always happy to share the benefit of my many mistakes that I've made over the years. Uh, I think, you know, they it's a little, little cliche, but they say we learn the most when we actually make mistakes. When everything's going right, we don't learn as much at those points. So, um, And really, Sanguine Strategic Advisors is really just a product of you know, my experience over the last 30 years uh, operating businesses, um, primarily in the le- primarily in the legal vertical, but you know I see them as they were primarily le- legal businesses, but they were businesses, and nonetheless, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of attorneys start to you know forget sometimes that they're running a business, right? It happens to be a law firm, happens to be providing legal services, but at the end of the day, it's a business. Um, but after you know thirty years of you know multiple startups and exits. Um, I really started to think a little bit about what were the things that I really liked about what I was doing with my life in my prior businesses and what I didn't like. Um, I would start businesses. I'd have a great idea. I'd start to execute. Um, and then a year in, I'd look back and I'd say, what the hell did I do to myself? Because I was not thoughtful up front about what type of business that I was creating. I didn't establish any goalposts in terms of what were the characteristics of the business that I wanted to create that would make me happy as an individual. What I did is I created a business and then I let the business kind of rule my personal life, right? Um, So in starting Sanguine Strategic Advisors, I first created some goalposts. And I said, what were the things that I liked? Well, I didn't like having to manage hundreds of people. I didn't like having a bunch of partners that I had to share decision-making uh, authority with, but then had to live with the product of poor judgment. Um, I didn't, uh, you know, I started businesses in highly regulated industries where I had to deal with a lot of, you know, multi-tier regulatory frameworks. Like, so, you know, all of these different characteristics, the things that I didn't like, I also thought about the things that I did like, bringing people together, introducing people, um, help, help mentoring other people. And so Sanguine Strategic Advisors is, is based on um, you know, what we do is we talk to business owners every day. Many of them are law firms. And really, it's an advisory group based on a single question. 
which is what kept you up last night? What are the challenges that you face today in your business that kept you up last night? And how can we identify solutions uh, for you that can help ease the pain? Um, the biggest challenge that business owners have is they're trying to scale their business and law firms is vendor selection. We receive a lot of formal training um, in law school and within our work on how to provi provide our um, service, you know, our core legal service, but we don't receive a lot of training on how to engage in vendor selection. Every business, every law firm probably has five to 10, what I call table stakes, product services, software that they need just to turn their lights on, right? They can't operate without them, um, but we don't have a lot of guidance or training on how to go through the process of selecting the right vendors. Um, and so what happens is either we're paralyzed because we're so afraid to pick the wrong vendor that we don't do anything to solve the challenges that we're facing in our business because we're scared to make a bad decision or we do make a decision and we make the wrong decision. And then we have to go through this painful, iterative, time-consuming, frustrating, expensive process of unwinding those uh, uh, business relationships and then having to go back out to market and choose those vendors again albeit with less confidence in our ability to make the right decisions. Um, it's saying when what we do is we help you with that process. We get a, a lot of free operational advice, and we also make introductions to, you know, what we would call our curated list of vendors, people that we've worked with over the years that we know are the best at what they do. That's awesome. And I thought you guys had a really unique price, beneficial pricing model as well for firms that you would work with. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, we're free. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty beneficial. We we don't charge law firms uh, any money. You know, we're here to help them. We understand that um, law firms want to put their money to work on solving the problems or overcoming the challenges that they're facing in terms of scaling or uh, lowering costs or, or whatever those are. Um, they don't want to be spent uh, paying some advisor or consulting group five thousand dollars a month. Because then not only do they have to figure out how to generate a return on investment on whatever challenge they're trying to solve for, then they also have to generate a return on investment on their advisor. Um, so we provide our uh, advisory services for free. Um, on occasion, where we do make introductions to third-party vendors, and those third-party vendors uh, subsidize the cost of our advisory services on behalf of our clients uh, by paying us a small commission when in fact a business relationship is formed. But ultimately, the lawyer and the law firm makes the final decision whether or not they want to work with one of those uh, vendors. Um, we call those vendors our partners of excellence, people who we've identified are really great at what they do and they're genuine partners to the law firm. Uh, they're not just there to, uh, they focus on the value they bring, not on the paycheck that they receive from bringing that value. So it's cool. I think a lot of folks that, uh, maybe listening can can certainly benefit from that as well. But I want to get to kind of the the meat of what I feel like today, um, you know, is, is all about. And for me, that's helping law firm owners scale their business. Um, and not just to a level that, you know, some artificial idea of a certain amount of money or anything like that. But I think what, what you talked about too, which I liked is, you know, building that business that they do like they, they're happy about and getting uh, used to. So maybe you could share a little bit about the progression, you know, from your beginning as a 
small so you know high, small solo law firm owner to building a business that you know eventually was acquired in the a law firm that was acquired yeah um well I'd say you know when I first got out of law school um my first job for, like like many attorneys is really was more product of um what job I could land, <laughs> you know, kind of middle of my class in law school came out, wasn't going to get the job at the big white shoe uh, law firm making, you know, six figure salary. Um, and so really just by kind of a stroke of fate, um, I got a job with a high volume consumer bankruptcy practitioner in Chicago, who was one of the, you know, first people to go ahead and advertise on television uh, back in you know, the, the 70s when, uh, you know, really the advertising rules for attorneys loosened up and attorneys started advertising in mass. Um, and I think one of the smartest things in retrospect that I did is I really just latched on and took the opportunity to be a sponge and learn everything that I possibly could um, from the owner of the business. Um, whenever there was an opportunity for me to learn how the books were done for the law firm. I, you know, if it meant coming in on a Sunday because I knew my boss is doing the books on the Sunday, I would get up and go to the office on a Sunday and sit next to him and watch him how he did the books. Six months later, he was having me do the books, right? Um, when he was making decisions about placing, it, it'd be funny to hear this, phone book advertising, right? Yeah. Uh, um, we would, uh, sorry about that. We, uh, I would, I would participate, you know, in, you know, I would observe, I would watch, I would just learn everything that I could. Um, when he was developing technology uh, for the law firm in order to create efficiencies in um, the way the practice is run, you know, I was right there watching, you know, the thought process uh, in building the technology. And so it goes on and on and on and on, but every opportunity that you have to observe other people who had, who have much more experience in operating a law firm business, not just, you know, I think lawyers spend a lot of time going to CLEs and learning about their, the, uh, the core legal service, right, the substantive areas of the law, but they don't spend enough time actually learning about what's involved in operating the business of a law firm. Um, and I think your understanding of those uh, elements of uh, operating a law firm are going to make you enjoy your time operating a law firm a lot more. So spent a lot of time just observing, learning. After two and a half, three years, I said, he's never going to make me a partner in the business. I can go out and use what I've learned to go out and do this better and at scale. I started my first law firm in 1997, three and a half years after graduating law school. Over the next eight years, I built that to 180 lawyers in uh, 70 markets across 22 states, signing up a couple thousand consumer bankruptcy clients on a monthly basis. A lot of iteration, right? A lot of uh, time, um, you know, just to learn from many mistakes. But I'd say one of the main things that I'd recommend for attorneys is, you know, sit down today and create uh, what I would call your ideality. You know, if you had to look out a year from now or two years from now and say, ideally, this is what I'd like my law firm to look like or what I'd like my life to look like as importantly, right? Because those go hand in hand. 
how you run, how you operate your practice, the type of law you decide you want to practice, the types of clients you want to represent, all of these things will play into your personal satisfaction, how much you enjoy coming to work every single day. <clears throat> if you sit down uh, and you actually put pen to paper and create that ideal of who are the clients I want to represent, how many staff members do I want to be managing, how many days of vacation do I want to take a year? How much time do I want to spend with my family? Um, how much money do I want to make? Um, if you do that first and create those goalposts, that ideality, it's going to do um, a couple things. Uh, the first thing is it's great for planning. Um, but what it's going to do is it's going to illustrate the dissonance between your reality today and the ideality that you like that you seek to accomplish, right? Because the next question you're going to ask yourself is when you're done with that piece of paper, that your ideality of what you want your firm to be a, a year from now is you're going to ask yourself, why am I not there today? Like what has gotten in my way, right? Like I've been practicing for 10 years, right? So why is it that I'm not where I seek to be a year ago right now? What are what are the obstacles? What's getting in the way? And then, you know, that's a lot of what I do with lawyers every single day is just talk about what is getting in the way. Like, what's keeping you up at night? Why are you unhappy in doing what you're doing right now? And by identifying the things that are getting in the way, that's the first step to starting to change things and figure out, like, you know, what the, what the transformation needs to be. It sounds like creating the vision is a big, big part of it and helps give you that direction once you have that, what were some of the steps you took that you think would would help other firms grow? You know that you can look back and that you went to you know a, a certain conference or you started adopting a certain day to day methodology. What what were some of those steps that you feel like were really key in helping you grow from average bankruptcy lawyer to you know really growing? Yeah, I mean. Well, first of all, surrounding yourself with people that um, you believe uniformly are hard, as hardworking or harder working than you uh, and are as smart or smarter than you. Um, for some reason, people tend to like to hire people who are not as smart as them because I don't know if it's ego or whatever, but, um, you know, as they say, you know, there are certain presidents that we can uh, point to uh, who are not like the smartest guys in the entire world, but they were really good at surrounding themselves with people who were geniuses and a lot smarter than them and other business owners for that matter. But, you know, I think a big part of it is just uh, identifying people that are loyal and hardworking and smart um, is you know definitely a key to success. And once you identify those people, treat them really well and keep them around you um, because they will, you know, I've got um, Anthony Bucks who, you know, works with Sangman right now. Um, this is the third business that he's been a part of, right? He was a part of Total Attorneys. He was part of Upright Law. He's part of Sangman Strategic Advisors. And there's a reason that I keep bringing him back to the table is because he's smart and hardworking and loyal. And when you find people like that in this world, you got to keep them close by. It's um, uh, great. But, it, you know, I, I think being collaborative in your approach getting people within your organization to buy into your vision. Uh, not, you're, not, you're not here to rule with an iron fist. And this applies to organizations that are two or three people as well as 100 people. So you know, this is not just something that it's not a 
enterprise organization issue. It's also a small, it's you know, a small organization issue. In fact, I would maintain that it's even more important when you're in a part of a small organization to make sure that the people who are involved feel invested in the business, feel that they're tied to the success of your law firm, um, and that uh, feel like they've participated in making the, the decisions that are critical to the growth of the business because people don't feel invested they've got nothing at stake, right? It's just a job, right? You want them, right. want to make them feel like it's more than just a job. People, I think, are very, very important. Um, we're learning that more and more in our business uh, by finding those people. And one of the things that we've been adopting to help you know, manage that, because this is my first time managing a bunch of people and trying to figure out how that works. And so we've started using EOS uh, as a system for us. Is there a similar strategy or framework for law firms that you recommend as they, they scale to deal with some of those people issues, planning issues, things like that? Uh, you know, there's definitely a book called Who um, that you can find on Amazon. It's, it's how to go about your hiring process. And, you know, too many it, it's a great book to just learning how to create a profile of who's going to be a successful employee and then how to go about asking the questions that are necessary without saying, are you hardworking? Right. You, you want to create questions that will tend to elicit an answer that will be indicative of someone who's hardworking or uh, has a high level of discretion or is uh, amiable or, you know, whatever the characteristics are. So you're identifying the right characteristics that will tend to lead to a successful person in this role. And then you're trying to identify a person who possesses those characteristics. Um, you know, uh, and, and there are a number of these books like, Gazelle, you know, the Gazelle's system is, you know, very, uh, it's a great system. Um, but I think, you know, as a general premise, I like the idea of getting together um, at least quarterly with your entire organization and do a planning meeting and figuring out do, doing your SWOT analysis, right? Your uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, um, and identifying where it is that you can leverage the strengths of your organization the greatest uh, and diminish your weaknesses right? Take advantage of opportunities, reduce the threats within the organization, and then set some really aggressive goals. And don't set 15 goals, set one or two goals for each quarter and set them really aggressively, you know, make them almost right. uh, almost unattainable, right? But barely, maybe attainable. Um, and then, you know, your entire office, you know, you you got to create a culture around accomplishing their goals. So, for instance, right, um, our goal this quarter is to um, generate thirty referrals to for new clients. For you know, for instance, right. Um, so now you start working backwards off of that thirty. What is the path to getting to thirty? Right. Well, every single time you have a conversation with a current client. That's an, especially if you're conveying positive news about their case, right? Or progress that's been made on their case. That's an opportunity to go ahead and ask for a referral. Hey, we really appreciate it. If you know other businesses in your area that can take, can benefit from our services, 
if you'd pass along our information, right? And then you say, well, we're never going to get to 30. Well, let's create opportunities to have those conversations so that we can get to 30, okay? So now we're having a conversation with the client at the beginning of a representation, and then we're having a conversation with them 90 days later. What opportunities are there to have two more conversations every 30 days with the client to give them some piece of information that shows progress is being made on their case? And so we can use that opportunity to ask them for a referral of some other business owner. Because so it becomes a branding opportunity. We're constantly communicating, constantly giving them feedback about the status of their case, show them the progress is being made, and it's an opportunity to ask them for referrals. So you set that goal, and then what you do is you work your way backwards in it, and you figure out opportunities. You create opportunities within your business to accomplish those goals. Um, whereas if you have 20 goals, it becomes like dizzying. It's just too much, Absolutely. and you don't really accomplish anything. You got to be very focused on a smaller set of goals and you accomplish over every 90 days. And then, you know, there the books talk about the big, hairy, audacious goal, right? What we call the BHAG. That's like, you know, your five-year goal is to grow the firm to do, you know, $10 million in revenue. It right. seems like almost like ridiculous. You can never get there. But what you're working first back from your BHAG then to your annual goals, then to your quarterly goals, and then what you do every single day. And then I would also say you want to give every single employee the opportunity on a daily basis to understand how they did over the last day, over the last week, over the last 30 days. So you're setting key performance indicators for the firm. You're right. also setting key performance indicators for each individual. And then what you want to do is you want to give feedback and transparency so that Every, every employee knows how they are on a daily basis contributing to the law firm accomplishing its end goals. It sounds so straightforward and easy, but we're doing this ourselves over the past month or two. And it is so hard, in, in my opinion, to take these kind of abstract concepts of how, yeah, how do we get to 10 million or 1 million and then break that down into actionable steps. And the best approach I've learned with it is to try to break it down. So you're basically explaining it to a five-year-old, you know, and, and I, I don't mean that, you know, in, in a negative way, just that if I don't parcel it out into very specific actionable steps, then it becomes almost too, uh, you know, too difficult to fathom to to bring all of these things together. And yeah. so having that that focus on the way we're targeting it is on a quarterly basis. So we're going through this process now of trying to outline all of the work or you know most of the work that will be done from now to the end of March. And that way we feel like it gives our team structure. They have a path to go go towards, and then we can go at the end of that three months and think about it. But we're not trying to change things every single day and yeah. every week, and you know, and all of that. And so I, I think it's that's the biggest challenge is staying focused and having a yeah. clear direction. Yeah, and the organization, you know, the the foundational steps that you're putting in right now, it's challenging. But once you have those foundational steps put in place, the next time you do it, it makes it, you know, that much easier to go through this process. And, you know, one, the most important word you said there is focus, right? I mean, it's, it's really breaking things down to 
bite-sized pieces so that the, you know everybody can be focused on that one thing rather than if you have a hundred things, it's hard to focus on the right thing, right? So right. you just you want to break it down. So how do you typically arrange your day or schedule to ensure that you're working on the most important things that will have the biggest impact in your business? Because I know for myself, you there's such a temptation to go in and go go to that inbox and start knocking it down one one by one. And I don't know if you're like an inbox zero guy or, you know, but it's so tempting. Yeah, unfortunately I am. Um, so tempting to go focus <laughs> on those, those things that, you know, feel immediately give you that like immediate gratification, or you just hate the idea that somebody's waiting on your response or something like that. But how, how do you do that, you know, to, to ensure that you're, you know, being as focused and, and productive as possible? Well, first of all, it's funny that you kind of pegged me is that you know, <laughs> stand the idea that someone has emailed me or reached out to me and that I haven't been responsive because, you know, I know when I reach out to people, you know, I want people to respond to me. So, right. um, you know, it's 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 difficult sometimes to fight your nature in, in that regard. Um, but, you know, the way I organize my day is uh, each day I've got um, basically two hours in the middle of the day from basically 11 to one, which is um, some of it's to some me time. So I actually eat a meal uh, yeah. and get some exercise, right? Um, or can just take a project that I really need to get to that's going to advance the business and I can have some focus time. So I take two hours in the middle of the day and I take the last hour of the day. So like, and you can do it, whatever fits your schedule the best. Not everybody has that flexibility, but I do 11 to one, and then I do five to six. Mm -hmm. And that allows me in the middle of the day to take a breather and really address some things that need immediate attention. And it allows me to take the last hour of my day and do the same thing and also get organized and think about my next day, right? So that I can clear my head because otherwise what I'll do is I'll lay in bed at night and my head will be spinning about things I need to do. You know, that way I get my list together, I'm organized, I'm ready to go, I knock out some projects that I want to get done by the end of the day. And look, you know, some days are till 10 o'clock at night, right? And um, that's something that I, you know, I'm trying to address, because I don't want to be working those types of hours at this point in my life. I'm right. sure many attorneys deal with that same challenge. And it's just, it's a, it's a process that you got to solve over time and put the right types of resources. But sometimes you got to put in your time and pay your dues before the you know, business is ready to take on the resources that you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. So last question for you. Um, what are some of the mistakes that you see solo and small law firm owners making most often as they try to scale or as they try to go from 100,000 to 300,000 or five to a million what are some of those main challenges or, or mistakes that, you know, maybe you've, you took on that you'd like, you know, you know, would recommend others avoid? Um, well, I mean, first of all, not going through the process of understanding what it is that you're building. So, you know, the plan, skipping the planning process and just kind of like going at it, right. Doing right. it without thinking about what you want your life to be, what you want your practice to be. Um, I also find a lot of attorneys or people growing law firms 
um, they tend to engage in that race to the bottom where they will um, sacrifice their fee, lower their fee substantially in order to meet the lowest common denominator in the marketplace. So it's like a race to the bottom. Um, what I've found over the years is it's usually the clients who negotiate the most and chew you down on the fees are the most difficult to serve and never make any referrals. And the clients who pay you the most and are the most cooperative with you are the best clients and, right. are, and make the most referrals. It's almost like a psychological uh, uh, phenomenon where people who pay you a lot and work well with you almost have to brag to their friends about how great you are because they, they're justifying in their own head why they paid you so much money for the, for your service, right? Um, it's like they got to feel better about the money they spent by going out and bragging about about it. So I would generally encourage attorneys to um, uh, not engage in that race to the bottom and um, you know understand that they're providing value in their services and the clients that really appreciate the value that they're bringing are, are going to be the clients that they want to represent over the long term. Um, I also uh, encourage lawyers to be entre more entrepreneurial. Think about creative ways to structure their services, uh, create, make themselves different in the marketplace than from what every other lawyer is offering, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then I um, also like uh, is there a service that you offer that is a foot in the door type of service? Um, you know, for instance, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, I, again, recently started in another law firm, right? Primarily helping businesses with the employee retention tax credit. Guess what? They're not paying me anything up front. Right. So there's no obstacles. They don't have to come up with a bunch of money to pay me. It gives me an opportunity to offer service and establish value and right. establish a relationship with that business. And now I can go back to the business and say, what other services that I can offer? And by the way, these services, I don't do on a contingency basis, but now I've taken that opportunity without charging them anything to actually provide value and show them what I'm made of and the type of service that I'm going to provide. And now I can go back to them and offer them something. So I'd encourage attorneys to think of something that they can go out to businesses with and offer to them uh, in a way that doesn't create a bunch of barriers to entry. So that gives you an opportunity to establish a business relationship. Very cool and innovative. I think a lot of people could, could benefit from that. Um, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I thought uh, we covered a lot of really great stuff and um, would absolutely like to have you back again because I feel like we could have split out on a couple of different topics there. Um, I really like the thread about just overall happiness and job satisfaction because I, I'm the exact same way. Um, if I don't put things down in a list, I'm thinking about it all night and not healthy for me uh, as well. Yeah, so. If you if you don't wake up every day looking forward to going to work and you know and doing what you do, then you should be putting some serious thought about why it is that that's the case, right? Um, because there's a solution to it, right? You just have to be dedicated to the process of solving the problem. Um, and you know even now when I work with lawyers, you know because I don't charge them for my advisory services, really what I say to them is. I'm happy to work with you. I just want to make sure that we're we're not engaging in the process of 
um, complaining about what we don't like when we're not dedicated to the process of actually solving it, right? So if you wanna just complain, go get a therapist, right? If you wanna solve the problem, you know, I'm happy to help you solve the problem, but I want to make sure that you're dedicated to actually solving it. And we're not just in the, in the going through the process of complaining about what we don't like, because too many people in life spend their time just complaining about what they don't like, but they never do anything to fix it. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, hope we can do this again soon. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks very much. Appreciate it.